Diversity, equity, and inclusion have long been acknowledged as a crucial mechanism for broadening the scope, creativity, and innovativeness of research that seeks to reduce health inequities. But in recent years, there's been little in the way of racial or ethnic diversification of research leaders, trainees, clinical trial participants, or increases in funding for research focused on health equity. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Ebony Bulware, Chief of the Duke Division of General Internal Medicine and Vice Dean for Translational Science at the Duke University School of Medicine. Dr. Bulware has co-authored a perspective article about enhancing diversity, equity, and inclusion in clinical and translational research. Dr. Bulware, could you start by describing the lack of diversity in clinical and translational research? First, among investigators, why are so few research faculty members from underrepresented groups? And what are the applications of that gap? It's a very good question. We know that people of color make up 30 plus percent of the general population, yet they make up approximately three to four percent of the population of individuals who conduct research within academic medical centers and other areas of science. And the why is a very complicated question, but it's certainly related to structural inequities in our society in general, to the extent that people of color or other diverse backgrounds are less likely to receive the types of education that prepare them for advanced scientific careers. And when they do get into medical school or other graduate schools, they may be less likely to pursue science careers. So there are multiple steps along a very long pathway beginning very early on, as early as preschool, kindergarten, elementary school, and middle school that ultimately a number of barriers decrease the likelihood that individuals from diverse backgrounds are likely to join the ranks of of science and research. And then what about the lack of diversity among clinical trial enrollees? Why is that important and how does it affect population health? We want our research to represent the backgrounds of people with diverse lived experiences. And when we don't have individuals who are from diverse backgrounds involved in clinical research, it means that our research may not be as relevant to those groups and may not be as readily taken up by those groups when people who need the treatment aren't involved in the treatment. There's a longstanding historical pattern of not only scientific abuses of individuals from diverse backgrounds, but also a well-deserved legacy of mistrust as a result of those scientific abuses. And thus, individuals from diverse backgrounds have not participated in research studies as frequently as we need them to, so that they can be represented in the trials that demonstrate benefit of scientific discoveries for everyone. So it's very important that we enhance the diversity of clinical trials participants so that we can ensure that the discoveries that are being developed apply to everyone and are safe for everyone and can be used by everyone. Moving on to possible solutions, first, you write in your perspective article that research institutions need to take action to align their own demographics with those of the communities they serve. What would efforts like that look like? So I think there are a number of different levels at which this occurs. Number one, we need to make sure that we're having a diverse scientific workforce. And that means that we recruit and train and mentor individuals from diverse backgrounds to enter science as a field that they can be a part of the scientific enterprise and conduct research of interest to them. And it's been shown that when diverse individuals join the ranks of science, that they tend to study areas that focus more on diverse populations. So having diverse scientists and researchers within academic medicine 
will improve the diversity of the research that's being done and the people that the research applies to. So that's one area. A second area is ensuring that leaders of academic institutions are diverse in and of themselves. The diversity of academic leadership across research organizations is quite low. It's even lower than the three to 4% of diversity of the overall faculty of academic medical centers. And we need to make efforts to really promote, foster a more diverse leadership, because that means that the priorities of research and research enterprises can also be diverse, which has been shown to be very beneficial for innovation and high quality of work at the organizational levels. Thirdly, it's important for us to really make sure that the research that we do reflects community priorities. And by that, meaning communities which suffer inequities in health know what the problems are within the community that need to be addressed. And our science really should reflect those priorities so that we are addressing the health needs that the communities actually have, rather than us deciding for the communities what health needs need to be addressed. To keep our research very relevant and impactful, we need to work with community stakeholders to make sure that our work is community-driven and that the priorities of the research reflect what's important to people living in the real world. So looking specifically at health equity-related community-engaged research, you talk in your article about the importance of increased government funding for that sort of research. Are there indications that federal agencies might be focusing more attention on these areas, given the inequities that have arisen during the COVID-19 pandemic? Yeah, as you point out, the COVID-19 pandemic clearly demonstrated their tremendous inequities across our research enterprise with regard to engaging communities for research. There have been some recent efforts to enhance funding for community-engaged research across NIH. We're seeing that as part of the UNITE initiative, which is an initiative that the NIH director introduced to begin to combat structural racism within and outside of NIH. And we're seeing many of the NIH institutes begin to support and promote more research that is community-engaged or community-driven by its nature. Traditionally, NIH has taken a very biomedically oriented approach that has not included community stakeholders as part of the research funding process. But increasingly, we're seeing that NIH is promoting community and patient engagement in research, including in research designs and soliciting that type of work from investigators. So getting back to research participants, what can both institutions and funders do to ensure that recruited populations reflect the diversity of the populations that are affected by the conditions that are being studied? Well, first and foremost, we need to partner with communities to create trusting relationships with communities. And that means organizations need to become trustworthy. Becoming trustworthy means a lot of different things, but it means ensuring that care that they're provided by research enterprises Often these research enterprises have healthcare delivery arms where they're providing actual care. We need to make sure that care is being delivered equitably and in communities and meeting people where they are, that they can get the healthcare that they need. That also ties into the research enterprise. We need to ensure that when we are doing research, that we're not just reaching out to people and grabbing them opportunistically for research studies. We need to ensure that we are trusted agents in partnership with communities explaining why we're doing research, doing research that community members feel are important, taking the time to explain how research is important to communities, and then partnering with communities to get research done. Frequently, the experience that we commonly hear from community members are researchers swoop in 
with NIH funding or other funding to do research, and then they leave, leaving the community without resources to continue the efforts that were started or conducted during the research process. It's very important that as a part of the research enterprise, we think of our communities as partners and we think about co-investing in communities to build capacity around research efforts. So for example, if we have a clinical trial where we're looking at the effectiveness of community health workers and we find that community health workers do improve health in a particular area, what are we doing to invest with communities to ensure that community health worker programs can remain in those communities to sustain health? How are we partnering with communities to identify the types of research that communities feel are important to be done so that communities also can co-invest in those efforts? Also, we frequently ask communities to give of their time and effort to help us recruit or retain individuals in our studies, but there haven't often been transparent ways to ensure that those community groups or members are compensated for their time, effort, and energy. We need to ensure that the benefits of research throughout the research process are equitably shared between the community and the research enterprise. That is going to help improve community members' excitement and enthusiasm in engaging with research long-term and ultimately will likely improve the diversity of the lived experiences of people who participate in clinical and translational studies. In a related perspective article, Armstrong and Ritchie talk about payment policies and practices as one barrier that's keeping historically disenfranchised groups from participating as research subjects. How could study-related payments, in your view, be used more effectively to support diversity? Well, first off, we need to recognize that people take time, effort, and energy away from whatever they're doing to participate in clinical studies, and we need to compensate them for that time. Certainly, the researchers and investigators that are involved in studies are paid for their time, and the participants arguably are the most important component, and we need to compensate participants for that time. And that could be the time, not just that they spend filling out a questionnaire or giving blood, but the time it takes for them to take off work, the time it may take for them to change family arrangements or any other types of payments that individuals should receive related to the value of what they're offering to the science. So we certainly need to ensure that payments or compensation for participation are equitable when it comes to research. I think a second issue, particularly when we're talking about diverse populations are how do those payments need to be made and can they be made more easily? Many of the participants that we may be seeking to engage may not feel comfortable giving out personal information such as social security numbers or other types of information for financial remuneration. And we need to come up with alternative strategies to make sure that we can compensate people in ways that they feel comfortable with regard to the research. Similarly, when we're engaging with community-based organizations to engage participants in studies, we need to find ways to ensure that those community-based organizations are compensated as well for their time through equitable subcontracting procedures that make it easy for community-based organizations to participate in research studies. Finally, you talked about investigators swooping in and then disappearing. Now that diversity, equity, and inclusion are receiving more attention as important research areas, how do we ensure that funding and other opportunities go to communities and scholars who've been engaged in this work for some time, not just to the most well-resourced institutions? That is something that needs to become a strategic priority for NIH, and we're seeing more of that. But we do want to begin to fund the individuals who are actually in the field doing this work 
for years and decades, this type of work, community-engaged research, has been under-recognized and underappreciated the value. And it's not until we have a pandemic such as COVID-19 and we realize we have difficulties engaging massive proportions of individuals in society that we recognize we've really undervalued the importance of engaging groups and researchers and communities long before the emergencies like a COVID-19 pandemic occur. We need to continuously support this type of work at the community level, raise the recognition of its value, both within academia and outside of academia, so that people are incentivized to work in communities and do the community work over long periods and long trajectories of their careers. While we want resources to come in, we don't want resources to be dumped into the community and then taken away again. What needs to happen are decades-long efforts to truly partner with communities and raise the visibility and importance of community-engaged research to the level that it deserves so that we can avoid the types of missteps that we've seen with COVID-19, where we've had large groups of underrepresented individuals not engaged in our vaccine trials initially, not engaging with science and mistrusting science. The kinds of trust and engagement that we need take decades to promote and foster, and it will take a long-term investment on the part of NIH and other funders to really create that. Thank you, Dr. Bulware.